busy as a bee and have more to share with you today. But first, I want to thank Jay Fratt at Smoking Jays for such a wonderful support and sponsorship. Um, Honeybee, my teacher, was made possible thanks to Jay. And myself and the bees are truly and forever grateful for that. So thank you, Jay. I appreciate that. Um, I just really felt I was getting this beekeeping lifestyle down lately. But instead, I have learned beekeeping in an honest light is basically the realization that you never have the same situation with every hive. <laughs> if you try um, a cookie cutter approach to beekeeping, you will certainly be schooled by your honeybees and you will probably be disappointed as well, in mostly in yourself, because they are consistently inconsistent because they rely on weather and all these other variables. So we have to learn to flex up and down with the bees. One thing I have learned is nothing is constant other than the fact that the hive is absolutely unpredictable. So we can count on that forever. Um, anything else is going to be an educated guess. There's a lot of literature out there. All I can say is learn as much as you can from it, but take it all together, group it together, and apply it with an open mind knowing that your bees don't read books and they won't know. So you've got to stick with what you know, but you have to let the bees lead the way. All right. So attention, Quality management and care is always required to keep your colony or your colony successful. That is the only consistency that exists in beekeeping. Now, um, in the Pacific Northwest, we are in a dearth in certain areas. And depending on where we live, we still have a few plants blooming. But sugar syrup has become a supplement to our honeybees. So we aren't harvesting honey right now. Um, we shouldn't be. And this is where the moral issue comes with beekeeping. We're either going to rape the hive, which, as you know, I do not believe in, or we're going to let them build up winter stores so they overwinter and thrive successfully. So we're helping the bees build up their honey stores for the entire winter season at this point by making sugar syrup. Now, other parts of the country, are move, like moving east, however, they're experiencing a really good abundant honey season due to their wet conditions. This has been a great year for them. Um, I heard a gentleman in Ohio who's an 80-year-old beekeeper. He's been doing this forever. He has so much honey that he has not only been able to harvest like two or three yields, but he said, stop being selfish. And right now, if they just let the honeybees continue storing honey, they will have made their own honey for winter and they won't need to make candy boards, sugar syrup or anything. I'm jealous completely, but it's a wonderful thing. So depending on where you live in the United States, that's going to also make a difference on what's going on with your honeybees at this point in time. So we're all prepping for winter conditions and the next steps are being implemented to ensure the bees have the best chance of survival over wintering. Um, I personally have treated for varroa mites this year and I have no bears. That's a happy thing for me. <laughs> I call that a win. So I am focusing on the next stage of bee care and that will be planting now, uh, planting and planting now for next spring. Um, it's the only way to really be prepared for a more successful year. So um, I really emphasize good planning for next year starting now. 
those bees are going to be boxed up and you're going to, it's going to get real easy to not do things because they're not requiring your attention every two weeks as much as you do in the summer. But remember, you are planning for their success next year. So start now. It's less um, expensive for you. The Economically, it's better that you do it this way. Plus, it's just better for their survival too because you're want, going to want to split those hives. Now, July is when I actually treated for varroa mites. And I used a product called Mighty Way Quick Strips. These were the most convenient for me as a, a novice beekeeper. Uh, it's a general practice, I think, for most of us because a lot of you know, experienced beekeepers, they'll use a vaporizer. It's a little more complicated. It involves the battery electrodes, these chemicals and things like that. And even though it's safe, I prefer the formic acid method right now until we learn a little more about organic approaches. This is a good organic method. Um, and so you're going to remove your honey supers if you haven't done so already. You do need to treat for varroa now because they will have mites, whether you believe it or not. So you're going to do either a sugar roll or an alcohol wash, and you're going to get them ready and see what you have for mite count and get ready to treat. Once they're treated, you're going to, you can put your supers back on if you want to. I recommend they stay off the hive now. Um, check for your hive beetles, your little bitty pests and bugs that are going to get in there. Ear, earwigs are fine. Don't worry about them. They're not going to, the bees don't really care about them. They love the moisture, so don't worry about the earwigs. But the beetles are a problem. And you're going to look for wax moths, too, to make sure you don't have any webbing or little larvae that look like they're mini spider webs sitting in your cells. Um, I was fortunate and didn't have any. I have I had a low mite count, so I'm very proud of that. I, it was a good, good year considering what I went through last year. And my colonies were complete with the exception of one unhealthy queen. The others managed to requeen themselves this year. So this was good. Um, this did result in combining it with another hive. But I'm content with the three strong hives, and I'm going to split them next year, and that will give me six. I'll probably just maintain that pace for a while until I've developed a little more confidence in the beekeeping since it's taught me that I don't know everything, and I probably will never know everything, maybe even anything. <laughs> so we're going to be learning together on a daily basis when it comes to this. Um, water is probably your biggest thing right now. It's huge. I live on a river, and I also have a slough on the property. That's good for the bees. They have unlimited access to water. But um, in areas where you're you're far removed from a water body, you need to make sure that your bees have fresh water. You need to put them in a shallow pan where they have access with um, rocks, stones, pebbles. We discussed this in a previous podcast because the bees will drown. Uh, you need to make sure they can crawl in there, get a hold of some water, and get out. Um, we've got to get water to the bees because they need to use the water to combine with the nectar to make the syrup that they fan with their wings that makes honey. And honey is what they use for winter. They also mix that with their bee bread for their larvae and their young because that's what they feed the young. Um, we want to make sure that everybody's fed and, and ready to go. I don't think we want to go hungry during the holidays. So let's make sure our bees have a good holiday <laughs> season too and they have that going on for them. So we're going to take care of them and feed them really well. Lots of water. Um, until recently, it's been pretty warm and dry here in the Pacific Northwest, I know. Um, and that's why we're in a dearth. A lot of our plants have already bloomed out and gone to seed. Therefore, we really don't have a lot of nectar flow, but we do have some. We still have some dandelions, knotweed, and just a little bit of like um, Queen Anne's lace, some random little flowers that grow out there. But unless you're no next to a lake where there's an abundance of flora growing all the time, 
it's time to make sure you feed them the sugar syrup and the water. Let's keep them hydrated and fed. Never let them go without. That's the most important part. Um, and we don't want to over-inspect. I have um, my friend who was a new beekeeper this year. He started, he, was, he loved his bees. This was his first time. He got his hive. He got two, actually. And he just kept busting into the hive almost every other day. He just wanted to make sure his queen was good. His heart was good. He was so proud of his bees. And he came out one day and his bees were gone. So one thing I will tell you, if you remember from all one, the other lessons we've discussed is those worker bees and those bees need to not feel threatened. So what do they do if they feel a threat? They swarm. So what ended up happening is he lost both of his hives to more than likely to swarming. There weren't a lot of dead bees in there or anything. They just kind of disappeared. So it wasn't a collapse either. It was literally, she just said, it's time to go. This isn't good. There's too much sunlight coming in here that we don't need. And I can't work in these conditions. So off she went. And that little brat, she just took off. And so did her partner in the other hive. And off they went. And I'm sure they're either in somebody else's hive somewhere. We are hearing reports of people finding other queens in their hives. And they're marked queens, so they know <laughs> that that's not their their queen. And they're landing in uh, swarms and trees and things like of that nature, too. So they're being collected. They're being taken care of. But it would have been much better for our young friend if he had had his bees with him. So we're going to work on next year making sure that he's got his bees. And we'll work on just checking once every two weeks is plenty. Let's not over-inspect. It's, you know, if I opened your door on your bedroom every hour and said, you enjoying your privacy? You enjoying your privacy? I doubt you'd like it, right? So the queen's going to do the same thing. So remember that. Let's let's be mindful. That's where our mindfulness comes into play. And you're just simply monitoring colonies, making sure that you don't have pests or parasites and they're disease-free. And the reason I caution you not to over-inspect in winter is because this is cold weather and they will die. They have to be warm and dry. So that's going to be one of our big, big, you know, self-monitoring uh, tasks that we have to make sure we're doing, okay? This is, our timeline can't be the ruling thing here. We This is about the bees. So we're going to have to make time for them that works within the weather and what's healthy for them. So we got to keep them warm, keep them away from prevailing wind, keep them hydrated, keep them dry, but also let them have their time to, um, they're not going to, she's not going to lay as many eggs, if any at all. They're going to hunker down and they're going to cluster around her in a big old ball and they're going to keep her warm and they're going to fan that hive and keep that hive dry to protect the rest of the bees. And that's why we'll, and in the next podcast, we'll, we'll start discussing like moisture quilts and some other things we'll be doing for our bees, okay? So this combined with making sure they have plenty of water and food should get them on track. Um, I just, I think that one of the biggest lessons I've learned also when it came to my summer with the bees is they have, um, they've taught me a lot as far as self-care. You, their very role clarity is really huge on how they do things. And so this might help us understand if they're getting ready to leave you or not. They have a, an a impeccable way of knowing their role and executing it. And they're flexible, but they still know what their job is at each age of a bee's life stage, they do only a certain role. And that's what they do. So if they're keeping honey or they're foraging or they're feeding nurse bees, you know, nursing the baby larvae, that's what they do. And because they know that role, they also know when they get up and stronger, they learn how to defend and they learn how to recognize threat and they communicate. So 
the um, the mindfulness towards the care and inspections are great and everything, but you don't have to drop your bees in an alcohol wash every single week. You want to just do it within the time frame that's always recommended. I there's always a lot of schools of thought out there like fad beekeeping and fun stuff like this and and they're all wonderful, but I think it's best to find somebody that you find is reliable and has hundreds of hives and is successful at it and is managed loss as much as gain and can help you make the right decisions about your bees. So if you follow how they do the process, then you're less likely to make mistakes. And they'll be the first to tell you that if you ask, if you go into a room and you put out a question and you ask five beekeepers how to raise bees, you're going to get 10 different answers. Because there's so many different opinions even within the same space about beekeeping. So it's a day at a time. You know, it's a day at a time and it's a minute at a time sometimes. It's a breath at a time. But it's something that you have to do. So um, get in a good habit of taking care of yourself so that you know how to take care of your bees. And that's a mindful practice. So we want to just pay attention to us and pay attention to our little critters that we call our friends. And together we can work on uniting them and getting them fed and watered properly. All right. Um, And we're rolling into fall. So what I want to do is I do want to talk a little bit about fall. This isn't a hugely long podcast because I want open um, space for some questions and answers. And uh, September's here and we're going to start experiencing some dropping temperatures. So we want to touch on that too. But first, I really do want to go for a quick little break and um, give a spot there to Jay and um, really recognize all the benefits that we have because of the sponsorship that we have available to us to learn more about the bees. So I'm going to let you go for now and I'll talk to you in a minute. Honey Be My Teacher is brought to you by Smokin' Jays and SmokinJays.com. Everything for your smoking lifestyle. Just for you, there is a coupon code to save 15% off at SmokinJays.com. It's Honey! So enter Honey at checkout at SmokinJays.com and receive 15% off your order. And all orders over $100 ship for free at SmokinJays.com. All right, back to the show. Okay, September is here, as I said, and we start to experience dropping temperatures. I don't know about where you are, but it was wonderful and sunny here in the Pacific Northwest, and then kaboom, we had this huge thunderstorm, and we've been really soggy. And it's either cold or hot and humid. So um, if I had flowers to go with that, I would be jumping for joy right now, but I'm not. So I spent the day yesterday making sugar syrup and I did about 15 pounds of sugar. And that's one thing to remember if you are um, maintaining your bees right now till it's time to make candy boards in wintertime, you need to buy a lot of sugar. So get that Costco membership going or wherever you source it but you need a lot. I buy 25 pound bags at a time and I can go through 30 pounds a week easily with my bees. And that's three hives. So just remember that. Um, And and once the weather turns cold, you want to make sure that your sugar ratio is a two to one sugar syrup for winter stores. So that's two cups of dry sugar to one cup of water. And you put that in a pot and you have to bring that to a a mild boil towards a syrup, just like you're making old school pancake syrup, just for anything else or simple syrup. 
but that's what you need for them because they're, they're going to start making honey out of this. And this is why we don't harvest it because it's not true honey. It's just super dehydrated sugar syrup, but this is their food and it will keep them going, um, mixing it in with the pollen patties we feed them and whatnot. So keeping them fed and starting with your winter preparations is key right now. So you need to know what region you are in. And um, if you read the blog, you'll find that in the Honey Bee My Teacher blog, there is a map in there that shows what region you're in so you can source information for your bees and for your area. I am not a master of geography and I do not have them memorized. I just know I'm in region seven. So um, know your region, get all the information you can that pertains to that region. And region seven is the Western United States and it just goes east from there. So obviously the farther east you go, the lower number you'll have. Um, our focus in July was basically doing splits this year, trying to get them done. I was not able to do splits, but those of you who had healthy hives early enough into the season were able to do a split, I hope. Um, we did our mite checks, the supers were on for honey, and then we were spot checking our mite loads to make sure that we were taking care of the mites as soon as we caught them. Varroa, again, is one of our biggest problems, and it seems to be a never-ending battle. Um, the proper feed. I got wonderful super pollen patties from a, from Kevin Mills, who we've interviewed before, and he made sure that we had patties for Patty, and they were awesome. My bees devoured them, and they did a great job um, on medication when necessary. Sometimes you have to do that too, and of course, putting the bees in a location where there's ample food. You want to source them where there's ample food. You don't want to put them out in an empty field where there's nothing. So it's not one of those things where, oh, let them go three miles and find their food. Just give them an opportunity to have food. Alfalfa fields and clover fields are phenomenal for that too. So those are the types of environments you want. And then a lot of people are planting flowers this year. It's been really nice to see. I've seen in a lot of places sunflowers and wildflower gardens. This is the direction we want to go. That prairie-like environment is perfect for these bees. All right. Give them food. That's all they need. Um, I purchased my bees late this year. So of course, I lost my bees last year to bears, so I did have a location all ready to go. And But what I did not account for this time, here's my new lesson, was a term we call drift. And drift is where when you line up your beehives in a straight line, going one direction, what will happen is the bees will tend to drift one direction towards the other hives, and I lost an entire hive to drift. It caught me off guard because I thought I was doing the right thing, making this beautiful long bench and I had them all level. So I'm reconfiguring how my colonies will be set next year. It'll look more like uh, they're going to be palleted like five to a pallet, like on a dice. Like if you were to see the roll the dice and get the number five, that's the pattern I'm going to use to create some deviation in where they're located so that they're not prone to coming out and drifting over. And the danger with drift is if they get into a hive, their pheromones are different than the pheromones of the hive they're going to. The bees will ferociously remove them or kill them. They will be destroyed. So they were either killed or they um, swarmed off somewhere else because they weakened and the queen said, I can't do this. We're not sustainable. We've got to go find another place. So drift is a big one. Um, Make sure that you're planning your space wisely and account for drift. So you want, even if you plant your, put your hives at an angle to where that their one hive is set four inches back behind, 
set behind another and not in a straight row, but just almost look like it's staircasing, like a terrace, then you don't have the bees. They don't get as confused because, see, they run off of a GPS system and they're coming to the same location, but the GPS is taking them to the same four doors and they don't know which door is there. So it's kind of like, you know, door number one, door number two, and they pick the wrong door and there you go. You've got drift. And I don't want to have that next year. So I am reconfiguring for that purpose. Um, and then once I do that, I'll wrap them up for winter. I have to move can actually full hives this time because I have to make this change. So I will take ratchet straps, strap them together so they don't break apart. And I don't traumatize the bees. And I will carry them over to the pallet. And they will spend winter over there. My big hives will stay behind. And I'm going to build, I'm going to do a test wall this year with um, reflective windbreak to where then I'm going to try to create some artificial light and heat to come back on the hive. So I that's just a test and I'll know next year how it went and I'll let you know, but it's going to be data collection the rest of the season. But it's time to, that's what winter preparation is, coming up with innovative ideas to keep the colonies going. Um, and once they're wrapped, I will make sure they're reoriented in the spring. And once the temperatures reach 50 degrees or higher, they're going to be coming out, peeking around, and they're going to start looking to forage again. And then it's back to business. It's going to be beekeeping at its finest, I trust, because <laughs> I'm going to read my books and know that it's not all concrete, but I'm going to do as much as I can to come up with a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, and I think I need a D and an E, and then I think we'll make it happen. Just making sure I have a lot of alternatives set aside for me. Now, each region, as I discussed about the region, is going to be very different. So for each of us, planning is different as well because our temperatures vary. Um, know your region. Offer the colonies your best chance for a successful season. Now, I can email you a list for your specific region. If you don't have access to the podcast and you just want to rely on email, I'm happy to email you the map. I can do that for you. Um, the map can, or you can tell me what's on the map, what region you're in, and I can try to find like source trees or things like that that I can get to you that you can plant to make sure that your bees are successful. And of course, that's at the web, the email is bemyhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. That's B-E-E-M-Y honey.honeybees at gmail.com. It's long, but it says what it means to say. And I will get the information to you. You know, we can never be too prepared. So we've got to be ready to go. So um, now you're going to have some free time on your hands because you're not inspecting as frequently. You're just making sure the bees are fed and warm. You'll check them when you give them new food. But you need to take your free time and plan for winter and next spring. So here's some questions I want you to ask yourselves, okay? And this is how we plan. What should I plant for next year? Do I, you know, we know we have plants and we have perennials and we have annuals that go for bee season, but we need to plant trees too. So what do I need to plant for my region to make my bees the most successful? Again, if you're not in a space where trees are an option, sunflowers and all of the other garden varieties are a great alternative. But for those of you who have the space, I highly recommend planting trees because that's more, um, you can do early spring trees and late spring trees. It creates a great overlap and it fills in the gaps when all the flowers are between blooming phases because they don't all bloom at the same time. So what should I plant? That's a great question to start with. Number two is how can I educate others to protect and embrace the pollinators? 
what happens is when you start doing things actively to help your bees, you get a little passionate about them. And then you start wanting to take action too. And that doesn't mean you got to go take a sign and go pick at City Hall. What it means is you have that, like I talked about way back in one of our earlier podcasts with the little circles that I believe help you overlap. This is where, start your circle. Who do you talk to in your small space? And let that word get out and talk to more people. Um, There's a funny meme that's been circulating lately that everybody keeps sharing with me and it shows two jars and one says swear jar and the other and it's got a few coins in it and the other is the jar that says me talking to people about honeybees even though they don't want to hear it (laughs) and it's full and it's accurate (laughs) so think of it you know put a mental picture in place what can you do for the bees so how can I educate others to protect and embrace the pollinators. Remember the mason bees, we've got leaf cutters. Don't forget, we have all pollinators and our native pollinators as well. So what can I do? We already know what we can do, but how can I educate others to do that with us? Um, Where can I go to connect with others to be informed and inform others? There are events going on year round through all of the beekeeping organizations. There are colleges that I've noticed that in their curriculum are offering beekeeping programs where they're even just an introduction to beekeeping or an an overview of beekeeping and pollination. A lot of these are Lyceum-located free lectures. I would recommend we go. There's no reason. Make a great night of it. Get a good friend, go together, and go out and have a great cup of coffee and talk about bees. Talk about anything about it. Just, you know, learn a little bit and you'll find out there's probably more people in that room common to you than you realize. So we can all connect on that level too. So make that connection. That way you can work together and form others as well. Okay. Now, my, <laughs> my biggest thing I learned, um, because when you ask these questions, you start looking into deeper things. And I was in the what should I plant phase. And I don't think I've gotten out of that one just yet. Because I was really surprised to learn that the nectar flow gaps that exist throughout the regions um, are pretty, you know, they're pretty prevalent. There's, you'll have a, dandelions will die back and go to seed. And then all of a sudden, you'll see that you won't have every flower in bloom yet. You might have a flower. Well, a variety is not enough to support your bees. So I had to figure out what can I do for the gaps. And that's where your trees come into play. And that's when I kind of got really turned on to the whole what kind of trees that we have. Now in Pacific Northwest, our best tree is the linden tree. And it's also called basswood or basswood. I'm not really sure how to pronounce it there, but that's the name of the tree too in other parts of the country. That's a very um, good tree to start with. And then your late spring tree would be your black locust or a locust locust tree. Those are very good. The bees love them. Uh, the linden is the tree I found out that is the beekeeper's choice of bees. It is so full of nectar that the bees cannot resist it. They also plant them in order to create swarm traps to trap hives. So if you find a place where there's a lot of linden growing, that's probably where you're going to find a lot of native honeybees that you can also raise yourself, okay? Um, So that's one thing. They offer the nectar flow you need. They keep the colonies thriving while they're waiting for other flowering plants to bloom. Now, if you don't have a lot of space and you want a beehive, I want you to consider talking and networking and seeing if you have friends that plant large gardens or have um, grow hay 
alfalfa or clover to harvest for cattle and horses. And if they don't use sprays like Roundup and things of that nature, why don't you connect with them and see if they would be willing to allow you to place your beehives because it will pollinate their alfalfa. It will pollinate their clover. They'll have a better crop and then you can turn around and get a better honey yield too. And that's where you get that really nice clover honey. So there's some opportunities there too. Just because you don't have a big space of your own or if you can't do it in an urban setting doesn't mean you can't find a place to do it and maybe get somebody else to partner with you and work together to have a home for the bees. So that's a lot, isn't it? I mean, we think we know it all, us silly humans, and then we only find out we don't know really much of anything and there's more to learn every day, right? And there's more to learn. There's more for me, there's more for you and it's never ending. And although it's thoroughly enjoyable and it's a great form of mental health, the education still never stops. And I know I have to keep learning more about the bees myself. You know, you have literature, you have clubs, mentors, you can go to meetings, there's seminars, and there's even legislative issues on the table these days. And it wouldn't hurt to even get involved there. You know, these are all part of beekeeping in our society today. And I doubt we will ever know more than the bees but don't let that stop you from learning their secrets by any means. We need them too much just not to try. Oh, take a breath, Patty. That was, uh, that was a really good episode. <laughs> I can't believe how much you go and go and go on bees. You are very passionate. I am. They're everything. They're, we, will, we don't have four years. Yeah. We don't. I mean, no matter what anybody says, um, they take everything that I need and they give it back to me. You know, it's kind of like they feed me so much more than just honey. I, uh, life can be so chaotic and so gray at times and things like this. Honeybees are the light. And I, you know, learning so much more, they're just were my door to other pollinators too. And I went from being afraid of things to really embracing things that I used to fear. I don't, I'm not going to fear them anymore. Yeah. And uh, you, uh, towards the end, you mentioned your circles again and, and what other people can do. And you've been able, as you come to the studio to record this podcast, you walk by my giant Russian sunflower garden. And that was inspired by you. I, I've never planted flowers before, <laughs> and here I am. And I've even gone out there and checked out my giant Russian sunflower garden. Um, and I've watched the, uh, what are those bees? The mason bees. Mm -hmm. I've watched the mason bees yeah. go. And I don't like mason bees as much as I do honey bees. <laughs> I like the color of the honey bee. And I'm not scared of bees, so I uh, I, I wish that they're... The, they attracted more bees, but we have a lot of mason bees in my neighborhood, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of the eaves on the houses. And again, right. you're talking circles. You're talking about what people what people can do. Mm -hmm. I've got neighbors that have no idea what bees are or how they, how they interact, how they can help, but they said yes to somebody uh, that came and asked if they could put mason bees up in their eaves awesome. of their houses. Awesome. And so I think I have five neighbors with uh, mason bee hives uh, in their eaves. And I've got my Russian sunflower garden to feed them. <laughs> and it's incredible. I walked by it coming into the studio. And, and I even noticed in the neighborhood, you have a, your neighbors have a beautiful range of flora still blooming. Yeah. And I will contribute that <clears throat> to the mason bees as much as the honeybees. Because yeah. though they, they're a great species. And um, I am partial to the honeybees too, of course. Because um, they, to me, they're healers. And that's why 
I used to say, honey, be my teacher, honey, be my healer. And that's kind of in my space what that does for me because they they do all of this great stuff where they've inspired you to plant flowers and your neighbors to do mason bees, even though it's not the honeybee pollinations happening again. And so we're, because of that honeybee, we're healing ourselves. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a couple questions sure. uh, from the podcast. Okay. Um, and if you are an expert out there listening, um, it's okay. There's a lot of layman's like me that might ask silly <laughs> questions. So in advance, I have no idea if they're silly, but you mentioned... You mentioned raping the hive. Yeah. And the way that you mentioned it, it sounded like it was a legitimate technique. And mm-hmm. I'm curious, could you could you explain what raping the hive is and how this affects sugar syrup? Yeah. A lot of times people will get a little overzealous with the honey. And um, when it should be going into season to overwinter the bees, they'll pull frames that might even have brood and larva in them. And they'll just take it all. And what you end up doing is to destroy the babies. You're actually killing the population, the new population that's coming up. Or people will put supers on and just have those honeybees make them lots of honey. Um, and what happens is, is they pull those supers off and they use it for their own, either to sell or to consume. Um, usually it's to sell. And they get excited. And I know it's an honest, um, it's an honest mistake for a lot of people in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm not here to judge people who do it commercially. I don't know their methodology and making sure their bees are fed. But I know that for a beginning beekeeper, if you, you strip that hive and you completely have raped it and invaded it and stripped all of the value out of it, it's, um, it, it can render it very useless or very weak very quickly and that's where they're they take all the comb off and or they'll just use the wax to make soaps and things like that in due time you know give it a year let it let the bees develop and grow so as you're going to overwinter that has the uh potential to kill your bees it does 100 percent. okay, 100%. okay. Mm-hmm. um a plan you mentioned a plan mm-hmm. several times, your overwinter plan. Mm-hmm. Can I expect a blog post from you uh, that shares your winter plan since you're so into telling people they need <laughs> to come up with a plan? Yes. Um, I'm going to, we've already talked about where I'm going to place the hives. So um, I want to, I'm going to talk about my plan for my test to stop. I live on a ridge, so we have prevailing wind. Mm-hmm. And so I did uh, talk before about the hay bales that I've stacked up and built a wall. I have a couple hives that are just too heavy to move. So they are going to have a wall built behind them that's going to be a form of a reflective material that will be a, um, a solid windbreak. But at the same time, I'm gunning for what sunlight we get during yeah. the winter to kind of reflect back towards that hive and just give it a little bit of heat and add to that. Um, honestly, when it's really snowy, bees do best because snow's a great insulator. Yeah. But when we have the, uh, the rain that we do at the level we do and our wind and then our cold temperatures when we drop, especially like we had last winter, yeah. which was pretty cold, we were in snow a lot longer than we expected and ice too. Um, that's what I'm going to, that's going to be the plan for winter, but it's also uh, candy boards and talking, I'm going to be blogging about how to source candy boards and what a candy board is, which is a form of sugar and vinegar and water in a solid form because the bees like to eat that. Okay. Pollen patties, things of that nature, but keeping them fed and sustained during the winter. Yeah. uh, Just, just the feed alone kind of amazed me how much sugar they go through. Oh yeah. Candy boards are actually easier because it's a solid and it takes them a lot longer to get through. But in the summer they're competing with yellow jackets trying to rob the hive. Two of my hives have what we call inner 
inner syrup feeders and it holds a gallon. It takes the place of a frame. That's great because yellow jackets don't really have access to get in because they can, they have a fighting chance to keep them out. But one of the other hives, which um, uh, the owner of the property actually has the his own hive and he has jar feeders right now. And I did explain to him, you can see the yellow jackets around there more because they see it and they yeah. smell it and it's accessible to them too. So that hive is going to have to fight harder than the other two hives. So of course he's going to invest in a feeder now and we're going to get that taken care of. But a gallon, a couple of gallons of sugar syrup, it's it's two or three stock pots of water and sugar, and you're cooking. Okay. All right. Uh, another question that confused me a little mm-hmm. bit. You talk about splitting. Mm-hmm. And if I was a novice beekeeper, and I didn't have aspirations to, you know, become a commercial beekeeper, and I did mm-hmm. it for, for my own soap and to share honey with my family and to use honey for myself— why would I split? Do you have to split? Or c- couldn't you just keep your beehive, your one or two beehives, uh, keep them alone? I, I don't understand the splitting. Okay, easy. Um, easy for me, not for the layman. Absolutely. Uh, splitting. So bear in mind, a queen knows how to do what? Like, uh, make babies? That's it. So you've got a box that holds your frames. She's filled them. And as they hatch, she's filling them. And she's can lay up to like 1,500 eggs a day. Mm-hmm. So you fill all those frames in. Now, if the others are full of brood, where does she go? If she has nowhere else to lay, she's going to do one of two things. She's either going to swarm or you're going to add a box with more frames to accommodate her so that she can continue rearing her young. Now, um, hives, I do an eight-frame hive, which is because it's heavy, and I use medium boxes. I don't use deeps. I can't lift them. They're just 50, 60 pounds each. So imagine stacking these hive boxes on a raised surface so raccoons aren't getting into your bees. And now you've got a beehive that is teetering over your head. Yeah. So, yeah, you split them. The reason you split them is because you need to make a new space for a queen to take over half the hive and grow larger. And then you just you, it's just not practical to build a an Eiffel Tower of wooden boxes. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for laymen because it is heavy and if we don't know and we're popping them one open and you can do more damage than good. It's just better to keep it down to where you don't go more than three or four high. Okay. Okay. Um, drift. Mm-hmm. You mentioned drift. Yeah. And you explained it um, You explained it really well. So mm-hmm. uh, putting your boxes in a straight line can mm-hmm. affect the GPS. So you want to stagger them yeah, is, a, is kind of a term I was thinking mm-hmm. of. Um. I learned something though. So let's say you have three hives, mm-hmm. right? And you and you stagger them, but they're they're in close proximity. You mentioned that each hive has its own pheromones, mm-hmm. so neighbors don't get along. No. So so maybe maybe uh, let's call uh, this this bee Steve and the other one Joe. Steve and Joe might see each other as they're out there pollinating flowers. Hey mm-hmm. Steve, hey Joe, how you doing? But Joe and Steve, they are never going to each other's houses. Um, actually, Steve and Joe will, but Jane and Jill won't. <laughs> okay. Yeah, the females will not know. Um, they're very territorial. And um, remember, the drone bees are go up to that massive drone bee convention in the sky, and they come back and they land at any hive they choose. For some reason, bees don't have a problem with drones. There's, I don't know what it is with them, but they're welcome to come in and fool around and eat all the honey they want. But 
those um, those guardians are female. The women, it's the maidens. They they guard that hive and the, uh, those pheromones that are generated by that queen. She has a signature smell, so the hive gets that smell going. Okay. So um, Steve and Joe can go back and forth at will, but the the ladies cannot. They'll okay. fight. Um, and I thought it was Steve and Joe. I thought it was everybody too. And then I found out that that because I had some bees fighting on my porch, and I didn't know on their porches, and I didn't yeah. know why. And it was a drift issue. Okay. And it turned out that, and it was not my drones that were being killed. Now the drones will be destroyed just about in the next few weeks. They will, those guys either get up and go, or those women will see to it that they've gotten up and went. Wow. Because they will sting them out of the hive, boot them out, or kill them. Okay. Well, on that bright note, <laughs> that's uh, have to make space. That that's the, that's the show. Thank you, Patty. Yes, anytime. <laughs> I am so grateful to have shared my love of the honeybee with you. I have so much more to share as we all grow in knowledge to save the honeybee, which will ultimately save us. This podcast is brought to you by Smoke and Jays and SmokeandJays.com. Use coupon code HONEY for 15% off your next order and all orders over $100 ship for free. I'd like to thank my producer, Jay Fratt, for bringing my love for honeybees to the podcast format. He has his own podcast called The Conservative Hippie, which is available on all podcast platforms. Just go to theconservativehippie.com. Visit me at honeybeemyteacher.com to connect with me and enjoy all the buzz about our amazing little friends. Let's be social. All of my social media links are available in the show notes. Please email me anytime at bemyhoney.honeybees at gmail.com. So until we meet again, be mindful, be thankful, and most of all, be kind. <laughs>